The Start On Demand. On demand. Trust us when we say we know you're sick of COVID and we are sick of it too, especially after the latest developments that saw the world juniors get scrapped because of COVID. So we had some stuff to discuss on that. We also had a conversation with our friend, Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman. He is talking about celebrating differently, recognizing that not everyone celebrates the same holidays and celebrates them in the same way. Like you might celebrate Christmas, but... What if you don't have the picture-perfect Norman Rockwell Christmas to showcase on social media? We get an update from the Forks on the River Trail. And speaking of the River Trail, which winter activities are you looking forward to? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling, who's back next week, and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, December 30th podcast for The Start. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is off today, which means Loren is back. And Loren sent me a text message about five minutes ago, just completely random text. But uh, it was the text message I needed because it made me smile. It made me laugh. And it simply reads, I'm so done with passwords. (laughs) I am. I'm also done with this forecast. I know we just entered cold in Manitoba, but I literally just booed you while you were talking. I, I don't know if my mic was on. I would just boo. Just stop talking. I'm not interested in your weather. And I am. I'm done with passwords. And I think, like, you know how, like, a year into the pandemic, so whenever that was, wherever we are in this timeline of things, there were all these things we were done with. Mm-hmm. And I remember hitting a wall, like, say, a year ago, being just, I'm done with my passwords and multi-factor authentication and 97 different codes I have to enter for literally everything I do in life now. Like, there's not a website I can't go on without having to enter some sort of password, it feels like. And I never can remember them, and they're never the same. And even if I try to use the same one over and over, it's off by one number or one exclamation point. And so I thought I was done with them a long time ago, but I've reached a new level of being done. Like, as done as I thought I was done, I'm not really done. Extra done, well, done like you, dinner. You have extra steps as well to, to extra hoops to jump through, right? Because you're working from home, right. so you're logging in from you know you have to log into this secure network. Uh, so I think that comes with extra steps, doesn't it? Multi-factor authentication, MFA. Okay. Done with MFA, yeah, you know me. <laughs> no, doesn't really work for that. Yes, so I have to like <laughs> log in, and then it sends a code to my phone, and then I have to check the phone and log back in with that code and I have to do that for three for for the email just to use our radio system which is burly and then for a whole other internal news chat thing we have there are three different times I have to do it every morning and then if it times out you've got to do it again mm. or if you close down a window accidentally which I do all the time because I'm like the same I treat my windows that are open the same way I treat water glasses in the house if I see it it's going in the dishwasher <laughs> And if a window is open, it's closed if I'm not using it. And then I'm like, no, wait. Ah. And then the kids come up and say, where's that cup? Ah. Same thing. That's actually good practice as far as the windows are concerned. Because if you have too many, like, for example, just web browser windows. Um, and I'm, I don't know if, if you prefer the tab system. I prefer to have a different window open for each site. Uh, but if you have too many of those open, that can slow down your computer. It can slow everything down. So I'm kind of the same way. I try to keep only as many 
windows open as I need. And I find usually about halfway through the show, I'll click down in the bottom to, to Google Chrome and it'll see I've got like 15 windows open. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I don't need uh, 10 of these. So let's shut this down. Or you like forget why you were even looking at something up in the first place. Like sometimes I'll do some work in late afternoon or early evening just to prep for, you know, the next day at work. And then I'll wake up at four and come downstairs and be like, what was I? <laughs> like, like I was looking at my dog has itchy ears and I opened up this tab this morning and it's like, why does my dog stink was basically the headline. <laughs> and uh, I was like, what was I? All right. He's scratching and I'm trying to figure out why he's scratching. But it makes me laugh because my, my, my like, uh, I have no, what's the word? Short, long-term memory. I don't even know what I was talking about or why I was doing it. You're like the movie Memento. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, just uh, got to tattoo everything to yourself so you can remember <laughs> why you had that window open. But on the subject of the forecast, yes, it's cold. And I laughed yesterday on Twitter. Uh, somebody tweeted out, um, with this extreme cold forecast, I'm thinking about what a lot of Manitobans are thinking about, which is going to head out to ice fish. So today we're actually going to talk about a couple of things that I think a lot of people look forward to in the winter, especially when it gets this cold. Uh, for example, at 737 for a small town salute, we're going to take a hike. Yes, we're going to get some tips from uh, nature interpreter. Uh, uh, Heather Hemming goes out regularly to take wildlife photos as well. She's a great nature photographer. And, and so she's out all the time in all temperatures. In fact, when I was reaching out to her yesterday, she was outside. And and, and so we'd like to get some advice on where to go, where to, where's the best place for hikes that are in and around Winnipeg. And also just if you're like into looking for something, whether it be birds or deer or elk. I had a friend who came across... Uh, social media friend anyway came across like what appeared to be 20 or 30 elk the other day when they were out on a walk like some where i want to say cypress river area okay but i might be making that whole community up so (laughs) i feel like that's where they're at cypress south side cypress or something like that um but they, it was amazing, and, they, and they're trying to get into photography, and their post basically said, you know, you see things, and then you're like, oh, my God, there it is, and you're so in awe of what you're seeing that you don't stop to take the picture, which is kind of a good thing, right, that you're just in the moment, but at the same time, you're trying to explain to people how beautiful it was later, and you have no proof of it, and so she might have some photography tips at well. That's in our small town salute at 737, and then Brett, at, uh, in our Having Coffee Talking, we want to talk about the things that you do when it's cold. Yeah, that's right. At 645, we want to know... What winter activities do you look forward to? I know, for example, one of the ones that I look forward to, and it was one of the first things I thought of a couple, even a couple of months ago, we actually reached out to them and asked if they had any early forecast on what was going to happen, the river trail. So at 9 o'clock, we're talking to the Forks about what's coming on that front. But yeah, at 645, which winter activities do you look forward to? And you can feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868. We don't have any prizes this week with which to bribe you for your text messages, but uh, feel free to share them anyway because we always love your stories. And maybe there's nothing. Like maybe you just hate it, hate it, hate it, and you're just going to hunker down and yeah. you want to be left the heck alone, especially post-holidays, um, because I know that this year not still not quite normal, but it has been a much busier month. And even I'm kind of like a buddy of mine texted me and he's got kids and he said, I'm so done with Christmas. And uh, (laughs) even I was feeling that. 
The hockey world continues to feel the spread of the Omicron variant as the remainder of the Men's World Junior Hockey Championship has been cancelled. Now that decision comes after several games were forfeited because of positive cases and mandatory quarantines. Two games were already cancelled Wednesday ahead of the announcement because of cases among teams. Czechia and Russia and a game featuring the U.S. was forfeited on Tuesday. Canada had won its only two games in the tournament, with Jets prospect Cole Perfetti leading the tournament in points. Gabrielle Marchand and for Lisa Dutton on the 6 o'clock news last night on Global Winnipeg with the news that caused my Twitter feed to explode. Loren with disappointed hockey fans as the World Junior Men's Hockey Tournament in Edmonton and Red Deer was scrapped thanks to what else? COVID-19. Yeah, and obviously there are those really avid fans that are extremely disappointed because they love this tournament. This is a favorite for some people every single year. And then and then I think there are many casual fans, and I would put myself in this category, Brett, that were also unhappy to hear about this cancellation, if only because the World Juniors is always just a fun thing to get into over the holidays. And even in pre-pandemic times, the NHL takes a couple days off, and you're at home with the family, and you know you don't have a lot on the calendar besides just hanging out together. And so the World Juniors feels, you know, some time and it's fun and and that's in non-pandemic times and so now here we are with no NHL games in the schedule this week not a lot going on if you're being told to stay home you're at home and you're like oh god now you're taking another thing away and I think that's part of the disappointment because I get it you know this is something that's fun to do fun to watch I understand why it's canceled but I do appreciate the disappointment which side note is how thousands of fans we're already feeling earlier this month when they learned the women's under 18 had been canceled for COVID reasons and the world juniors was still going ahead and there was tons of disappointment and anger about that. That's a whole other conversation about inequity in sport. But here we are, one less thing to watch and get into. No world juniors. Global John Sexsmith has the details from Alberta. Amidst another COVID outbreak, along with a bitter winter cold, the World Junior Hockey Championship was supposed to make Christmas in the Ice District a little more merry and bright, but the sudden cancellation of the tournament feels like a great big lump of coal in our collective hockey socks. It's disappointing. Richard Murray and his friends made a four-hour drive from the Battlefords. They had tickets for two games, only to find out the event was officially over. It's okay, I guess. We're all sick of this COVID right now. The health of everybody associated with the World Juniors was of course a concern. The competitive integrity of the tournament was also an issue. It's upsetting for everybody, including the staff, players, coaches, families. John Kirby originally shelled out $2,000 for a 17-game ticket pack, but that all changed when Omicron became an obstacle. COVID has made everything more confusing and complicated. They could have tried the tournament with no fans like last year, but then again, that could upset fans who bought tickets this year. So. There's no good answer to anything nowadays. Cancellation speculation had already started when two players from the United States tested positive. The defending champs were forced to forfeit a contest versus Switzerland. Two more games were forfeited and it seemed the double IHF had no other option. Heartbreaking for, for all of those kids. I feel really bad for them all. Mark Gooley is the father of Team Canada captain Caden Gooley. He's also a doctor, and until COVID is under control, there might be more disappointments. There's a lot to consider, and, uh, you know, these aren't decisions that are made lightly. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, can, I can certainly see where 
where they had to make this choice. John Sexsmith, Global News. There is a possibility they'll run this tournament in the summertime if it can be done. But when it comes to hockey in this country, and look, I know that uh, it's, I've, I've, I make no attempt to to hide the fact that I'm not a huge hockey fan. I'm not a huge sports fan, but. When it comes to this tournament, I don't know that there is an event anywhere else in the year where you really feel that sort of national pride towards this game. And maybe it's because it's younger players and they're not, you know, they're 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 just playing for their their own their own pride. They're playing for their country. And uh and as and when you tie that to what you talked about, Loren, to the fact that it's kind of a holiday tradition for so many mm-hmm. Canadians, uh this was uh, I can understand why a lot of people were really upset yesterday. And, and now more than ever, right? I mean we we had looked and plotted out like the days and the hours of the the games that we wanted to watch because it was fun for the kids too and something for them to look forward to in a time when there isn't a ton going on, right? And you're trying to keep them from doing a lot of things, a lot of activities that maybe have been reduced or scaled back or you can't go to certain things. And so here you are hoping to watch that tournament. And so I get, I think that's part of it right now because it's like, it feels like just another thing that's been taken away from people. And I have to wonder sitting here, one of my favorite distractions in the winter when it gets cold in those dark days of February every four years is the Olympics. And I have to wonder if you're an Olympian talking about heading overseas or maybe you're already there, you're trying to figure out what the bubble is going to look like. Can the Olympics go on? What's next in terms of the other things that might get taken away? So you can read more at cjob.com. You can weigh in at 204-780-6868. And on the subject of those winter activities, which ones are you looking forward to? And by the way, um, I just need to to mention this just to sort of follow up on what we opened our show with. Um, Loren, I understand you had a, a slight dose of karma as it pertains to your password situation. Yeah, I was complaining this morning how I was done with passwords and all the different signing in I had to do. And then my husband came downstairs to start his day off and was fiddling with the modem. And all of a sudden, everything disconnected on my end. I was like, come on, man. Like, and I was like, that's what I get for complaining about. Like, life is not that hard. I'm working from home. It's no big deal to sign in. Life just gave me a dose of perspective. Take it easy, man. Sign in again. Deal with it. It is okay to be annoyed, though, from time to time, Lorenzo. <laughs> McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is back on Tuesday. Now that winter is here, full steam ahead with this cold snap and the recent snow dump. Is there anything you actually look forward to in post-holidays winter? At 7.37, for example, for the Small Town Salute, we're going to talk winter walks, winter hikes. And at 9.05, we'll talk to the Forks about what's happening on New Year's Eve or maybe what's not happening on New Year's Eve. And as well as get an update on what is happening on the river trail. But maybe it's ice fishing or snowmobiling, tobogganing hunkering down with a good book and just being left the heck alone. Or maybe you like to catch up on the TV. You've been meaning to watch, watch some old favorite movies. I've got a handful I like to watch in January for some reason. Or maybe you just like to stuff your face and uh, worry about the consequences of that in March or April. Join the conversation at 204-780-6868. And uh, Cameron Poitras, working from home first day. Why don't we welcome you first? 
Uh, yeah, you know, I, I want to be a winter person, Brett. I really do. I want to be a guy that ice fishes and is like, <laughs> I love the snow. I love the winter. Bring it on. I, this is my favorite time. I But I don't. I just don't. I just don't have it in me. I'm just not that person. So uh, I spent, I had the last five days off or so. So I, I was catching up on TV and I pretty much all caught up on stuff that I watch and so now I'm pretty much screwed, Brett. I don't have anything to do for the rest of the winter. So if you guys have any ideas, let me know. <laughs> yeah, do you have any old movies you could watch? <laughs> I, well, yeah, yeah, I got tons of them. They're falling out of my pockets here in streaming services and stuff like that. So maybe I'll just have to look a little harder. Hey, you watch the extended versions of Lord of the Rings. That'll kill at least a full day. <laughs> uh, so there's one. Well, day. I'm always working through those. Yeah, I'm always working through those. <laughs> Jeff Braun, what about you? No, I'm the same as Cam. Uh, I'm, I I went ice fishing last year and I liked it, but uh, I don't, not so much that it would be like some sort of a regular hobby kind of thing. Uh, what I do like on a, on these cold snap days is it gives you the good excuse to just sit on the couch guilt-free and just uh, waste the day watching TV and the movies. In the summertime when you do that, you feel like a bit of a heel because it's like, oh, it's nice out. I should get out and do something. But um during a cold snap like this is like nope not fit for men or beast out there i'm just gonna surf the couch that oh, hey nice. there's uh, no peach no. tea as well eh, uh braun nice peach tea oh mm. yeah a nice warm cup of tea mm. <laughs> <laughs> do you still have the tea that you like or have you had to switch to something else no, I got, got a shipment of six boxes in the mail a few months ago, and then I got a few <laughs> more boxes for Christmas. So I'm good for a while. All right. Forte, what about you? I, mean, I still go on my uh, daily walks. I still go for about an hour every day. It doesn't matter how cold it is. Just get dressed up and go for that, so I enjoy that. But uh, something I'd really like to do is go for a little tobogganing. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Except the problem is, I turn to heat-seeking missile. If I'm going with my friends, <laughs> one of them are at the bottom. I'm telling you, I don't aim for them. It just happens. I end up taking their legs out, and they go flipping over me. It just happens. Where do you go? Uh, usually it's a Kilcona Park. Okay. They've, they've got the hill there. Um, and what kind of sled? Well, I I don't have one right now, but. Uh, It'd probably be one of those saucers you have no control over. You just jump on you see where you go. I always wanted a GT racer. I never had one, but I always wanted one. Oh, those are fun. You can hit those off sweet jumps. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? I thought I I was wondering if my dad was maybe thinking he escaped not uh, having me bring this up. But uh, I wanted a GT snow racer so bad. (laughs) And I asked Santa for one. But I was told Santa was my parents talked to Santa and said they they thought it would be too dangerous because they didn't trust that I would be able that I was competent enough to uh, use it. So they got me something else that I ended up hurting myself on anyway. So uh, (laughs) you can at least steer with the GT race. Or you can't steer with a, a crazy carpet, magic carpet, whatever you want to call them. You can't steer with the saucer. Uh, Loren, what about you? It's so funny you brought up the GT because we went tobogganing with the kids last week, and this other kid shows up at the hill that I don't know, and he's got a GT racer. My, my, I right away was like, GT racer, eh? Nice. And he just looks at me like, is that even its name still? Like, I don't know. But I was so bummed. I'm a 40-year-old woman, like, sick ride, friend. Can I borrow that? That's all I was thinking, how exciting it was, because we couldn't get them in our house either. But I'm so glad Jeff saved us with an outdoor activity while the rest of us are, like, talking about food and watching movies. Um, I want to get into snowshoeing because we have them. We were given them as a gift a few years ago, but I just don't get it. Well, you could have used that a couple of days ago. That was so much work. 
It just feels like a lot of work. Like, I, I'm going to put on these shoes and then go yeah. into spaces that I don't want to go and then try to walk through them. And, like, I just, I don't really get it. But I'd like you to. Don't, there's nothing there at the end of it. It's not like you're going searching for treasure or something. <laughs> no. Right? You just end up yeah. back at home where you started anyway. So what's yeah, the point? Yeah, I'm going to do a loop. Like, I just don't get it. And I, it's like cross-country skiing. Every time I see someone do it, I think, I should get into that. That looks good. And then I think, yeah, but you can go downhill skiing and have less work involved in it but i love this time of year going for a skate an outdoor skate anywhere it's why i am excited to talk to the forks because i want to know when that trail is going to be up because i think that's one of the coolest things to do in manitoba and i and i love the sound something about the blades on a river trail and the outdoors and the wind just sounds so much better than being on the rink yeah, no, I love the River Trail. I enjoyed it so much last year. It was great for mental wellness because, you know, we were there was, wasn't much we could do. So it was nice to get outside. And in the deep cold, we tend to get more sunshine, right? So it was uh, good to get all that vitamin D. So I like the, the river walks. I should probably try to actually go somewhere and go for a hike. But in the meantime, I, I'll likely just keep my walking inside the city. But there are a couple of movies I look forward to, and I don't know why. This uh, when this became a thing, but every January I watch, and they're both winter-specific movies. One is The Grey, starring Liam Neeson. And I actually posted a picture of uh, yesterday on Instagram because I had the frozen eyelashes, uh, so I posted a close-up of that. And Corey commented saying, this should either be a promotional poster for the theatrical release of The Grey Part 2, <laughs> The Wolfening. <laughs> well so I, I like that, Corey. Uh, so The Grey, that's a great movie in it uh beautiful winter scenery if you don't actually want to get outside to enjoy winter scenery try that or the revenant with leonardo dicaprio because who doesn't like watching a man get attacked by a bear <laughs> that movie always reminds me i had a friend say was it too violent like what was it like i was like no you're fine watch it she comes into work the next day are you kidding me what is the matter with you it was like a 97 minute bear attack scene and i'm like no right what the beginning and then you know <laughs> seeing or hearing of more co-workers, friends or family who have COVID or are waiting for test results? Are they now at home? At 6.15, we were talking about the fact that there are concerns that a growing number of sick calls will only add to staffing shortages in hospitals. Yeah, so we heard from Shared Health that they've got a protocol in place that if you have some mild symptoms, flu-like symptoms, COVID-like symptoms, but you've tested negative, then you still might be going to work. And so we're going to chat with the one of the healthcare unions after eight just about that policy and what that means. But I mean, listen, like there's a whole host of other workplaces that are being hit with this. And it's not just if you've tested positive, you might be waiting four days for a test result, maybe five days. So you can't go in until you get that negative test result, depending on your workplace protocol. And you're supposed to be staying home if you don't feel well, right, Brett? And so if you're like, can you actually be staying home for 10 days if you don't have that test result? And and we asked listeners what they're experiencing. And one of our texts that we got shortly after we first started this chat at six reads, Early learning and childcare are suffering. Staff off, no one to come in. The sector is also tired. And I think burnout's going to be another part of the thing, too, that you might just be like, yeah, I'll stay home for 10 days then because uh, I need it. On the flip side, how many people can actually afford to do that or have the ability to do that in their workplace? Yeah, like Kevin 
sending us, uh, and we thank you for this feedback, Kevin, because sometimes we don't think of these things or we might not, uh, this stuff might not come to mind. But Kevin says, you know, I like how they say to just stay home for 10 days. Like, don't bother getting a test. Just assume you're sick and stay home. Uh, tell that to your insurance company. I self-diagnosed myself with COVID. I'm off for 10 days. Pay me. Well, he says, good luck with that. So that's yeah, but- interesting. Well, I, I'm wondering how many places would require you to show that negative test result, or do you have to have it before you come in, or do you have to say, yeah, no, I've got the test and I've gone, and I understand what they're saying, that the testing is so overwhelmed right now that if you have these symptoms, if you've got the sore throat and a fever and sniffles and all the rest, that you should just stay home, but the technically the rule to isolate for 10 days might just not be doable for so many people either because your workplace might require that negative test or you can't stay home for 10 days or you just can't afford to like brett when you went for your test was it this month last month it feels like it was 100 years ago already it was earlier this month it was the day that uh, greg was uh, heading off to hamilton and, I, deci- Cup, and right. I decided to pick the absolute worst day for uh no. for that to happen but my point being is like <laughs> say, so you got the negative test but then you still had the symptoms and so mm-hmm. the requirements to stay home right until those symptoms go away well that could that could have gone on for days and you and and then what are you supposed to do and then and yeah we get paid and we have a decent workplace and there's rules around that but how many sick days do people have that they can just be at home and and afford to not get paid for that time and we've heard dr rusin bring it up on more than one occasion talking about how they're trying to get a hold of people who have tested positive and they're having a tough time getting a hold of them so that makes one wonder well where where are they? That they're, It was even brought up in the, the news conference yesterday. Well, you say you can't reach people at home. Well, most people have cell phones. So ooh, what's the problem here? So are, are some of these Manitobans who have these test uh, positive results, are they still at work? Like what? Maybe they're just in a situation where they, they simply can't uh, afford to stay home. Um, and our question of the day yesterday, by the way, for Mr. Furness, don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. The question that was asked yesterday afternoon, the World Health Organization says the COVID-19 pandemic could end by July 2022 if global vaccination increases. Do you believe this will happen? And only 15% said absolutely. 85% said no way. So let's say, for example, this thing just drags on. and You're going to see a lot of workplaces probably very adversely affected. Like I know one of the reasons why our company has taken the steps that they have throughout the last couple of years is A, to keep us safe, but it's also B, to protect the business. Like imagine, for keep example... Keep us working. Yeah, right? like imagine like we what happens... keep working. Like if two people get it on the, the 6 o'clock newscast, that could take out Global's whole evening newscast. Yeah, so that's the that's the thing, right? There, there's the safety protocol, the health and safety aspect to it. But at the end of the day, people need to keep going to work. And we had a listener text in uh, after six about how they run a small business. And, you know, there's only so many things they can do and they need the staff to come in and they have to come in and they have to get things done. And so it gets to the point where if you're in that situation, if you're running one of those small businesses and you say you have a staff that's sick and two have COVID, well, now are the rest also close contacts? And then do they have to stay home and isolate? And what's the protocol around that? And will we see that change? Because if the test positivity is 25% and then you have to identify the close contacts and let people know, and, and, and if you're unvaccinated, you know, your odds of being told to stay home go up again. I mean, I just, 
it, it gets to be really problematic for so many sectors. And I had reached out so, to a couple different unions yesterday, Brett, you know, the union representing grocery store staff, and we're hoping to bring them on um, because that has to be a big issue in terms of just how you keep functioning in some of those businesses and keep people going and, and just in any industry. If you have a few people out, more people are going to be impacted. How does that work for you and, and how do you sustain that? McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is off today. And I just, I got to share this with you, Loren, because uh, Forte, Jeff, producer Jeff Forte, back today. He was off yesterday. So I uh, was still getting caught up on how was the break and how was Christmas. I said to Forte, did you get anything cool for Christmas? And he says, yeah, I got Tupperware. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing yes. better. Like official, like real Tupperware, the yes. Tupperware brand. Yes, the Tupperware That's the brand. Good stuff. Yeah, I got an omelet maker, which is actually really cool. Just crack some eggs in there. Uh, puts whatever you want, cheese, onions, peppers, and just throw it into the microwave for two to three minutes, and boom, you got an omelet. So I've already had an omelet this morning. I'm feeling good. I'm I feeling just good. I just picture going to Fort Chase house. What do you guys want? You guys want an omelet? I can make you any kind of omelet. <laughs> Name it. You want to put it in it? I got it. Let's go. It's omelet time. <laughs> it's true. I cut up. I cut up all the onions and peppers yesterday, so all I have to oh. do is just grab it out of the fridge and I'm ready to go. And you made it at work just now? No, I made it at home before I, I came to work. Wow, that is organized. I've, I had to bring it up because I don't know that I've ever known anybody to be so excited about Tupperware. Like, did you get anything fun for Christmas? Yeah, Tupperware. <laughs> like, that is fun. <laughs> it's practical. And you got a hot plate or yes, something? Yes, an induction hot plate, a Master Chef induction hot plate. That I still have to play with. Well, okay, what would you need that for? Do you not have a stove? Oh, I have a stove, but, uh, you know, it's a fun gift. So if I go camping or something like ah. that, I got a hot plate. You know, I can cook in bed now, okay? I can cook in bed. <laughs> you're like Michael Scott. Yeah, you're going to like burn your foot with a George <laughs> Foreman grill when you get bacon. I like, to, I like to wake up to the smell of bacon, okay, guys? Um, like, if you're camping, you need to have an electrical. You camp? Let's go back. I don't remember you ever saying you camp. Well, it's been but a few years. But now you're going to bring this now induction plate camping? Now, you're, now I have to. So oh, because <laughs> so because you got a hot plate, now you're going no, to go camping. <laughs> That's the, 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 the linchpin to get uh, you well, out camping. As long as there's electric. As long as there's electric. Let's be serious here. <laughs> uh, that is a wonderful forte. Small town salute. And right now, this morning, we've been talking about winter activities that we enjoy. Mr. Fortier says he still goes for his walk every day. We talked to Bob Irving yesterday. He had already been for his Mm. daily morning walk. And I walk home from work every day, partly because I enjoy it. And sometimes then I'll go for another extended walk. I like to walk to the, the park in the neighborhood, Munson Park. And I sort of, there's this spot down by the river that still has a couple of open spots on the water. So if you can get uh, close enough, you can hear the the water just sort of gently uh, running underneath the ice. So it's just, it's fun. I enjoy the winter walks. I think I enjoy the winter walks in spite of the fact that it's cold and in spite of the fact that my eyelashes and eyebrows freeze up and my beard. (laughs) I think I enjoy the winter walks more, Loren, than any other time of year. 
Well, they're kind of invigorating and you see different things and you get that crunch of the snow. And yeah, like there's some of us who might walk for exercise or maybe it's clearing your head and, and sometimes the walks have more purpose. And so if you want to see something or connect with nature or even look for wildlife, our next guest has a few places that should pique your curiosity. Heather Heineman is a naturalist and interpretive planner and joins us now. Good morning, Heather. Good morning. So let's just start with your favorite spot. Do you have a go-to, like if you're looking to get out but don't have a lot of time, where do you, where do you hit the road, so to speak, with your um, foot to pavement? Honestly, my, my, my feet hit the ice when I want. I don't have a lot of time. I'm in St. Boniface, so I head for the Seine River and actually walk up and down the river as much as I can. One of my buddies actually uh, likes to walk up the Seine as well. Uh, do, you, do, you, what kind of, do you see lots of wildlife? Yeah, you feel there's a fair amount of deer along the river. The river runs through mostly a little bit of forest, and so you get quite a bit of deer and uh, different kinds of birds. I've I've gone there specifically to look for different uh, woodpeckers and and other birds. Uh, Waxwings and stuff tend to congregate along the river. Sometimes, if you're lucky, you might catch sight of a fox. Or I've seen mink in the in the, in the winter along the river as well too. So what gets you out? Is it, uh, you know, we, we, we talked briefly about just sometimes it's purpose. You just, it's your mode of transportation walking, but sometimes <laughs> it's exercise. Sometimes it is connecting with nature. And, and what gets you going? Because I know you like to take, uh, you're a photographer as well, Heather. And so what mm-hmm, makes you yeah. hit the trails? Um, all of the above, honestly. It's, it's my main form of exercise. And so I'm out um, usually every day if I can. Um, but yeah, also if I've got the time, I take the camera with me and, and um, just a chance to be out and, be away from people for a little while and just enjoy some of the quiet of um, certain natural rhythms is, is what gets me going. And so I, I enjoy it regardless of the temperature. Wanted to run this past you, one of our listeners pointing something out that I probably never would have thought of, uh, not because I'm an inconsiderate lout, but, uh, you know, I think it's, it's important to, to be there to think about these things, I think. And this person says outdoor activities. I love cross-country skiing and hiking, but not on the same trail. Please, please yes. do not walk on ski trails. Footprints and dog prints make a mess of the ski tracks. Thanks. So in your in your uh, adventures, is this something you encounter? Absolutely, yeah. That's something I think about all the time whenever I go, go for a walk. I'm not a huge skier. I'm a bit of a, a clumsy cross-country skier. But I'm very, very, very conscious of which trails have been been groomed for cross-country skis. Actually, some of my favorite summer trails have been converted into cross-country ski trails, so I don't use them at all in the winter if I'm going to be doing it on foot because it is a lot of work to groom those trails, and it can be really frustrating if you're out skiing to run into tra- tracks that have been all mucked up by people on snowshoes or people walking that have, that have wrecked it all for everybody who was out skiing. So for you, Heather, you know, if we're listening right now and there's all sorts of great reasons to get outside and I think we've convinced people mm-hmm. what they might be, but if we're looking I for something so. new, what, what should we do? Oh. What's some of the trails that you like to go that aren't maybe the Seine River or the obvious ones? Well, good question. One that a lot of people don't think to do in the winter that's quite nice is um, the Broken Head Trail um, up along Highway 59 towards Patricia Beach. Um, they they close the gates um, from the highway to the parking lot, but you can still park. There's room for the cars to, to pull off the highway, and uh, you have to walk in a little bit further. But it's not maintained, but the boardwalk does get used every every winter, and um, you it's a really interesting 
interesting feeling to go walking through the cedar bogs um, in the winter. And I've seen some really cool tracks in there um, from Martin and, and things like that in the snow. Um, if you want to get a little bit further from the city, I, another favorite one for me is the Brule Trail, actually, out in Riding Mountain National Park. Um, it's for snowshoeing, and um, it's about a four-kilometer loop. Um, and really, really beautiful um, spot to go for a walk. But honestly, there's a, a whole lot of different places, depending on where you are. I mean, Hecla's got a, few, a really fun one is um, up around the Lighthouse Trail on Hecla. It's, it normally gets drifted in. You definitely need snowshoes for this one because um, you could end up on about four-foot drifts of snow. They're usually pretty hard, but without um, snowshoes, you can fall through. Um, but it can create a really amazing experience walking out to the lighthouse that way. Have you ever fallen into deep snow? Yeah, <laughs> a is few it, times. Is it scary? Not really. I mean, you just have to kind of roll over. I mean, if you're wearing snowshoes, you just roll over until you can get the shoes underneath you and then push up. If you're on, on um, foot, then you hopefully, well, you probably shouldn't be on foot if you're in really deep snow, actually. <laughs> but uh, just try to push yourself into a spot that's a little bit harder to walk on. I had said about an hour ago that I was gifted, our family was gifted snowshoes a few Christmases ago, Heather, oh, and I never, no, it's not, because we've never really used them very successfully, and I've oh, never no. found deep enough snow to make it feel like it's worthwhile, so I might well, have you to... you know, yeah, this, this is the year to try it, because <laughs> we the last couple of years we haven't had deep enough snow to really make it worth your while. So if you're looking for a nice one, um, go up to the Nimowin Trail up in Bird Hill, it's up north past the... Um, past the the horses and um it's fairly short and not as it's groomed but it's not as groomed so you might be able to get some good snowshoeing in there do you have any tricks on uh if you want to get a picture of an animal just doing its thing so that they don't know because anytime i pull up my phone like they could they could be sit i could sit, stand there for two minutes yeah. watching them and as soon as the phone comes out that's when they leave it's like they know oh yeah <laughs> I would my my short answer is patience. Um, phones are tough because you can't get as you, you, you mean you you don't want to approach an animal, and that's usually when, as soon as somebody approaches pulls out a phone, the instinct is to get closer to whatever it is you're trying to take a picture of, and usually that that instinct results in the animal walking away. So you kind of if you're doing it with your phone, you really just want to um, sort of be aware that you're just not going to be able to get that you know, wildlife photographer close up and just give them their space and you can still have a lovely experience regardless. If you're doing anything though, um, like especially people who this time of year, people are out photographing owls, especially because they tend to be fairly active this time of year. You want to be really cautious of, of being aware of their activity. If they look like they're stressed out, it's time to leave. There's no such thing as really spending time with an owl. You really want to just kind of, you know, get your photo, enjoy them for a few moments, and then let them be because it can stress them out an awful lot if you spend, say, half an hour or something trying to get a photograph of, of whatever it is you're trying to photograph. And just on the wildlife, before we let you go, Heather, one of our mm -hmm. listeners talked about, you know, you might be alone outdoors and so you're not making a ton mm -hmm. of noise if you're down by the rivers. I know Sane, for example, in the south end of the city, coyotes can sometimes be mm -hmm. part of the equation. What do we, what should we be do, doing just for safety's sake? Like, if you're alone, well, it's hard to make that noise sometimes. Yeah, I know. I'm bad that way because um, I am often by myself. Um, although in the winter, the nice thing about winter walking is it's hard to be quiet, um, mm -hmm. especially when it's this cold. You do make quite a lot of swishy, swishy sounds and, and scrunchy sounds. Um, talking to yourself isn't a bad idea. 
um, just I, I don't recommend spending a lot of time walking through wilderness with earbuds in, for example. A lot of people like to go walking and listening to music. You really want to be aware of your surroundings and um, just keep an eye out for anything that's moving. If you run into a coyote, um, the best thing to do is just give them space. I've, I've had a few encounters over the years and you just kind of back off. And if they're in your way, you go out, back out the way you came. Um, it's, you just have to change your behavior in order to accommodate them. Well, we thank you very much for these tips, and uh, hopefully you'll inspire Loren to break out those snowshoes yeah. <laughs> once and for so. all. I have broken I wanna... them out. I just didn't get it. I was like, I'm like one inch of snow, and it feels like a lot no. of work. And there's no, no you snacks. need a lot more snow to make it worthwhile. <laughs> there's no snacks. Uh, Heather Heinem is a naturalist and interpretive planner joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much for this. We appreciate thank this. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. And that's a great point she makes about the owl, Loren. And I, yes. I, I have never actually seen one like face to face in my journeys. But I, the one time I saw one, I was driving to work when we worked at Polo Park. And it was like four in the morning. And I was coming off Academy onto the ramp to get onto the St. James Bridge. And something f- swooped in front of my car. It, it looked like it was a stealth bomber. I, I thought... What was that? And it took me a couple, like a few seconds to put to connect the dots and realize that was an owl. Like that, they are not. Some of them, I guess, I'm, I'm sure, are small, but this one clearly was not. And it's not oh, something I would wingspan. want to mess with. No, like she said, it's not, you're not making friends with that owl. Okay, you don't yeah. make friends with salad or owls. <laughs> A growing number of Manitobans testing positive for COVID. There are a growing number of sick calls being made right across this province. Yeah, so if you've tested positive for COVID, you have to stay home and isolate, as we know. If you have symptoms but are waiting for test results, you have to stay home and wait until those results are in and the symptoms are gone. If you're you're healthy and have COVID-like symptoms, Dr. Rusin has said you might want to save that wait time for the test and just stay home and isolate. And if you're a close contact, depending on where you sit and your vaccination status and the advice of health officials, you might have to stay home and isolate. And if you add that all up, that's potentially a lot of people calling in sick, which could lead to all sorts of shortages in different workplaces, including our hospital system. Debbie Wassano is the president for QP Local 204, which represents 14,000 healthcare workers from more than 50 different facilities in this province and is our guest this morning. How's it going, Debbie? Good. How are you? I'm okay. The question I wanted to ask first is what you're hearing from your members in terms of sick calls and and the number of colleagues that might be calling in sick these days. We have been calling out to the employer to uh, have more staff put on. um, And I understand people are calling in sick and uh, if they have a little cough or a sniffle, they're not allowed to come to work. They sign papers. Um, This has happened prior to COVID, um, the pandemic. And um, the working short has been an issue for a long time. We've been calling out with the employer and the government to get more staff. So what's the advice then to workers from Shared Health? Like if they have symptoms but have also tested negative, are they being told to come to work? A letter just went out yesterday, to my understanding. Um, and yes, they are saying that if you're negative and you have symptoms, but if you're sick, you're sick. You shouldn't be coming to work because maybe that test didn't say that you're a positive. Um, the employer has asked them to sign waivers saying that they wouldn't come to work sick, and now they're changing their mind. 
So what's the response been to that, Debbie? What's your thoughts in terms of that advice? Because in one hand, you're, you're, they're kind of in a rock and a hard place. If, if people don't come in, they won't have the staff to keep things going. But if they do, there's always that concern of what, what might be spread. And so what are your thoughts on that? What, what's the solution then? You know, I really wish the solution would be to have more staff. Unfortunately, at this point in time, it's like you can't just get them today. Um, maybe they need to call in people. They called in the Army. They got eight nurses. Maybe that's not enough, and they need to get more. The fact remains is that people are sick, and they're coming to work sick. They're only going to make more people sick or get the patients sicker. Okay, so you, the, the, as you pointed out, more staff would be the, the obvious solution but you can't just snap your fingers and have that happen so in the meantime what would you like to see transpire here like i said maybe you know maybe it's calling in the army like maybe it's taking more bigger measures to make sure that our manitobans that are getting care in the hospitals are getting it with not people that aren't sick Mm. debbie what do you what like how would you compare the calls that are coming in now to what we would have seen two years ago because we were talking earlier like you're, I'm not supposed to go to work if I'm not, I'm not well. It used to be in the past a lot of us would go into work when we had the sniffles or we had the snore, a sore throat or what have you and the whole world has changed now and so are you seeing a rise in the number of uh, people who are calling in sick and, and is it COVID related or are you also seeing, seeing some of that burnout? Um, I would say it's COVID related and burnout. Um, the same thing um, at the beginning in two years ago, you know, people said, this is my normal sniffle in the winter. This is my normal. I came from the bus. I walked. They would get to the door where they would be refused to be at coming into work. They would not be allowed. They would be told to get tested. You know, rapid tests <clears throat> work. I'm sure there's there, there are things at times that they may not show a positive. But the, to do everything possible to make sure that people are safe, you want to make sure that they have the staff there. But at the end of the day, um, even I have a person who called me the other day. They're waiting seven days to get the results back. They said they're fine, but they can't come back to work. So there has to be something better in the system, whether they have people to um, actually do these tests and make sure that they're being done and maybe pay the overtime to have those tests done in a more uh, faster, efficient time. Because waiting seven days, if you're not sick, to be able to be clear because maybe you had a positive earlier is not uh, good for the system either. People want to come back to work when they're feeling well, and people don't want to be at work if they're sick. So, I mean, it's great to know your body, but to have people to say, look, people have lost a lot of money through COVID, not being able to come to work because the employers asked them not to. And uh, you don't want people showing up now saying, well, I feel okay, so I'm going to come to work because I can't afford to be off anymore. Excuse my ignorance here, Debbie. If you're a healthcare worker and you say you're in a hospital setting or a personal care home, are there automatic rapid tests being done daily for those staff? Uh, only the unvaccinated at this time. So if you're someone who's sick and you don't have access to rapid tests or you just have those COVID-like symptoms, you have to go into the lineups just like everybody else or wait for a PCR result? In the hospitals, at uh, Grace Hospital, Health Science Center, and St. Boniface, they have rapid testing. Um, other places, no. Not to my knowledge. And what about those who maybe are are just because of a close contact situation where they've been in contact with somebody with COVID and where you know the requirement is that we're supposed to sort of stay home um, and wait that out? Or is there any breathing room uh, in the for these healthcare workers for that kind of a situation? 
while they're having to stay home, even if their child has been exposed at school, um, someone needs to take care of them. So there's all these issues that if people have been tested and maybe not come back positive, but they live with someone who's positive, that could cause some issues for sure. And this is why there is more people off at one time. They may not be sick, but they may be looking after a child who's been in close contact that can't stay home by themselves. All right, Debbie Wassano, yeah. lots more questions and answers as usual with this. If you if you're looking to get one thing done, would it be more rapid tests in the in the other facilities so at least people don't have to have that wait? I mean, what's what's the solution on the testing end? As we know, there's a testing task force that will speak at nine o'clock. Are, are is there a demand with your workers for more of these rapid tests? I think uh, people would feel more comfortable if there was more uh, rapid tests available if they were to go to work. If, if they, Like I said, if I know my body, body and this is my normal, but there's people walking around that have no symptoms that are positive. So if people could rapid test to feel a comfortable coming to work because they know they're not actually that sick and they are you know, not feeling guilty if I come and some, I sniffle and somebody looks at me. They want to make sure people that are feeling comfortable being there and people aren't being singled out or um, stigma like you have COVID. I want to have a follow-up chat and expand on something that we discussed last week as it pertains to traditions for those who don't maybe celebrate our common traditions. You know, like we learned last Friday, Christmas Eve, from producer Sky, who was in for Jeff Fortier. Well, she's Jewish, and we knew that, but she revealed in rather amusing fashion, as as Sky is wont to do. She's such a wonderful storyteller. Uh, but she revealed to us that many Jewish people order Chinese food for Christmas to the point where you got to make your you got to place your order days, if not weeks, ahead of time. I didn't know that. Did you know that, Loren? I've definitely heard that before from different Jewish friends that I have uh, made over the years, and or people who are maybe a totally different religion or no religion at all about their plans. And I remember reading an article years ago, I want to say the New York Times even did a piece on this about like where the tradition started to have Chinese on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And so, of course, there used to be, you know, no stores open on those holidays. Like so many places would just completely shut down, but the restaurants would always stay open. So that became a tradition for different people, depending on what their faith was. And, and I, we had a lot of people write in who said that they weren't Jewish or and it had nothing to do with um, their religion, but they also just enjoy Chinese food on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't enjoy Chinese food anytime, really? But uh, on Christmas evening, after spending some time with my dad and my sister, I went home and I went for a walk. And some of the restaurants on Osborne in the village were just packed. Spicy Grill, that's an East Indian and uh, Hakka restaurant, mm-hmm. it was packed. The Vietnamese restaurant, Phat Wong, that was packed. And there's also a Middle Eastern restaurant called Zaytun, which was packed. And I later saw a post on Instagram from our friend Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman, psychologist and community advocate, and it was pretty much right along the same lines. Yeah, so this is what the post reads. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. (laughs) Except for so many of us who don't celebrate Christmas, or at least the way Norman Rockwell did. There are parts of cities all over North America abuzz with activity on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Many of us who don't celebrate Christmas have developed our own non Christmas traditions of what we end up doing with the mutual time off. What's your non-Christmas Christmas tradition was the question from our friend Raymond. Good morning, Raymond. Good morning. What compelled you to post this? You know, I, I think it's just interesting to point out how so many of us find happiness in different ways and acknowledge holidays and celebrate them in different ways. And it's good to point out the different perspectives and the way that people 
live their lives. Um, and I, I just think it's really fascinating because, I mean, every year I observe how many people are doing different things at that time of the year. And I know one of the things that we've picked up is that you actually get your Boxing Day deals on Christmas Eve because the stores will put them out and the sales will start then. But the malls tend to be filled with actually Muslims, Hindus, and Sikhs. And uh, it's a good time to go shopping, actually. It's very quiet. So this isn't about shaming people, though, for celebrating Christmas or other common holidays, right? Oh, no, not at all. I, I think people need to celebrate as, as many ways as they can, but, but that's exactly it. Is that if we, if we set a standard of only one way to do something, then we create an artificial standard by which we think everybody needs to live by. And I'm not just talking about just Christmas, but even those who do acknowledge and celebrate Christmas. You know, that's why I mentioned Norman Rockwell. Like, that's why we have these severe problems with, with mental health around this season, is there's a standard that's created, you know, of what we expect of a family, of what we expect about who we need to be seeing, about the number of people and the size of the turkey. Uh, and that creates a lot of dilemma for people, including those who acknowledge and celebrate Christmas because they can't live up to that standard. And now you can see everyone's posts, Raymond, right, in terms of what they put on social media. I had a couple of moments over the holidays where I thought, you know, first of all, there's the gifts that you give and the stress that people might have about keeping up with the different gifts. And you might not even be able to afford one, let alone four or five or ten, depending on the household. And and then I even thought at one point, do I need to get more garland in my life? Like, when did everybody suddenly just have this stuff all over their house because everyone's houses look like a Hallmark set and I've got like a tree, one tree up and a couple snowmen and I'm like, that's good. And you, you see that more now because of social media. Lauren, I don't have a Christmas tree and that thought has crossed my mind. Do I need more garland in my house? I don't even, <laughs> it's like, that is the power of that standard. So, Yeah, well, and, like, uh, and just to sort of dovetail on the social media thing when I was scrolling through uh, you know, whether it was Facebook or Instagram on Christmas evening, it was just post after post, of, you know, all these wonderful family pictures or pictures of couples uh, celebrating. And I'm sitting there alone, having just gone for a walk alone. And I'm not saying that because, oh, woe is me. I quite like being single. But at this time of year, I sometimes wonder, like, am I a failure? Because here mm-hmm. I am sitting alone on Christmas. Well, that's exactly it. You know, this artificial standard, and I said to you, Brett, we had a conversation, said there's more than one way to be happy. And it's important that we acknowledge and celebrate the different ways of being happy, including being alone as well, too. A lot of the people that responded to that post were people who actually celebrate Christmas and have had their own non-Christmas traditions because they don't do what 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 is shown that most people would do, you know. Um, and, and, and it can make people feel very isolated. What's your advice then, Raymond, for those who are feeling that way? Because I think pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, like many people might have spent different holidays alone over the past year, depending on whatever holiday you are celebrating, because they had gathering restrictions or different rules. But let's face it, before the pandemic and after, there will be many moments where people are alone and will need to find ways to be happy wherever or however they are. What's some tips for them? Well, it's hard to fight a monster. And I say that, and I'm not referring to Christmas as the monster, but this ideology that we all have to celebrate in the same way. And so we need to be able to do this together. You know, having, you know, the advice to individual people saying, don't worry about it, you're not alone, doesn't work. But I think we need to be able to post more about how we, how we celebrate in a happy fashion, how we spend our time in a happy fashion, and be very proud to do that. And the more we do that together, and the more 
that's acknowledged together, you know, in the media and other places, the more that becomes normalized. And that's, that's where we start to improve, you know, how we look at different celebrations and how different people live their lives. Well, and a lot of people choose uh, humor, for example. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't know this person. I think this is just something I saw on social media. But there is a woman who uh, live, is single, lives alone, and, and she, every year she would send out these humorous Christmas cards. Uh, I think there was a picture of her at the family dinner table, but each person seated around the table was her. She just did some you know, Photoshop work, and uh, some of the pictures were her passed out on the table, and others were she's throwing things. <laughs> things across but you know the the whole point was look I'm single I'm alone I love it and I'm going to give you a christmas card and uh, you're going to enjoy my own brand of you know the the traditional christmas greeting yeah and those things are beautiful but you know we rely on people who have the strength to talk about that and I think together as a community we need to be talking about that um you know and Brett I, I love your post but you know a lot of people really enjoy that time alone but but when you are faced with a different image, it certainly makes you question yourself. And in some way, we gaslight people, you know, the society into what what they need to expect of themselves. I think that's this all ties in with your Celebrate Everything campaign. And you've been talking about this for years with your Winnipeg Love Initiative and the idea that we need to look and, and be more diverse in how we celebrate all sorts of things. So how do we spread the celebration around so that we're not feeling this way this time of year or maybe other times of year where this happens again? Well, I, I do think we need to celebrate more holidays as a society. Uh, I think Christmas becomes, you know, when we put all the weight of our celebratory kind of traditions in one time of the year, not only are we isolating people, but it makes it hard for most people, right? It's an unrealistic standard. But if we allow ourselves to celebrate more things over the course of the year, and, you know, that's a healthy way to live our lives. You know, people are talking now about the, four-day work week, about taking more breaks. I mean, this is one way to do that, you know, is to acknowledge the holidays of different cultural communities, but also anybody for that matter, and to make sure that we take time aside to talk about those, to post about those, you know, and and I would say eventually to give time off for those kinds of things, because that's that's where we need to move. And that, that allows us to not only be a more inclusive society, but you know, spread the love a little bit over the course of the year. You know, and so I'll say you miss Christmas, but, you know, you've got all these other times where you can also come together with community. And you don't need to be a part of that community to be happy and celebrate with those people. There's a lot of people who aren't Christian or don't celebrate Christmas, but will attend Christmas just because it's a social event. And the same way a lot of people can come and attend other holidays. We've had friends come and attend Ramadan dinners and, and Eid with us. They don't, that's not something that they would, but but it's a way that they get to engage in a sense of community and family in different ways to be together. If you are just tuning in, we just had a conversation with our friend, Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman. He is a psychologist and community advocate. And one of the things he advocates is to celebrate everything and to recognize that not everybody celebrates uh, the same way, even those who might celebrate the same occasion. And sometimes there can be added pressure, this extra pressure to like, I got to celebrate so hard this year or because I want to get the best social media post or whatever it is. And uh, Paula weighing in, Loren, was the great text message. 
Yeah, and to be fair, like some people just really enjoy this time of year, and so they go all out for whatever reason that might be. And but when you take a look on your social media feed, you might think to yourself, "Am I like doing this all wrong?" And Paula texted to say, "Hallmark movies and social media put a lot of pressure on people to be picture perfect. These images and portrayals actually isolate people, and people tend to believe there's something wrong with them and their families because they are nothing like what is seen on TV." or on social media. And I thought that was an interesting point. I mean, we talk often about what we see on our Facebook or Instagram feeds and whether that feeds into the idea that you're not doing something right or your family is not as busy or there's not as many activities or you don't bake as much as somebody else. And I jokingly said, you know, I need to get more garland was basically my (laughs) takeaway from this past Christmas because it felt like everybody's house had these gorgeous Christmas scenes and mine isn't like that. And so I think that that is part of it. It might make you feel like you're supposed to do something when maybe you just aren't interested in doing it that way at all. Yeah. And they say to be just so we're being clear, we're not, we don't want to make, we hope no one interprets this as to say you shouldn't celebrate these holidays, celebrate them and celebrate them as hard as you want. Uh, like the Ren says, if you, if you want to go all out, go all out. And uh, it just, it can, does add pressure and sometimes it can feel like this sort of almost like this powder keg of stress. It's like, okay, I got to go to dinner at this place and now I got to go to dinner at that place. And inevitably, I always found that by the time January 1st rolled around, I just all I wanted to do was sleep. And that was just me, like having to go to a couple of family dinners here and there. So for the people like my mom who would put her absolute heart and soul into Christmas. You know, she worked super hard to make sure that we had a great Christmas, but there were times, especially when I was a kid and I was a brat, where uh, we would push her over the line. And she, you know, sometimes would would kind of freak out on us because she was trying so hard to make things good that uh, she put too much pressure on herself, I think, at times, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, because really at the end of the day, sometimes you're doing it for yourself, but usually you're doing all these things for the joy of others around you, right? And so I laughed this year. I made my best turkey ever on Saturday. Yeah? And had no guests. Just me and my kids. I mean, and we loved it and we ate it for days, but I just kept saying, I cannot believe I've had my most successful turkey and gravy ever. I had like I was texting family. I just want to let you know, like I really made a great turkey this year. Just a heads up, I've got gravy figured out. Did you tell but Chef Gordon from Red River? I should. I should email him and say I just nailed it. <laughs> nailed oh. it all, start to finish. <laughs> we just ordered Santa Lucia at our place. We got nothing pa- wrong with that either. Pasta from Santa Lucia. It was good. Some fettuccine, some lasagna, some baked spaghetti. It was delightful. <laughs> We want to head down to the Forks, and we're joined now by Claire Mackay. Good morning, Claire. Good morning. So we want to talk about the River Trail uh, in a moment, but first, just because New Year's is within the next 24 hours, and the Forks used to be such a great destination for New Year's Eve pre-pandemic, I just wanted to make sure our listeners understood what is or isn't happening tomorrow night at the Forks. So no fireworks as usual, correct? Yeah, no fireworks this year. We didn't have them last year, and we won't have them this year. Our hope is obviously to be able to come back and become that place where 30,000 people flood into the forks on New Year's Eve. But for this year, that won't be happening. So what can people do there tomorrow? Like Restaurants would still be open uh, in theory, at least with different restrictions in terms of hours or what they might be serving. Like, Give us a sense of what might be up for grabs. 
Yeah, so we're following all of the current uh, public health guidelines, which means that everything um, must close by 10 p.m., and especially in terms of liquor service. So our restaurants um, and our food hall are open and our tenants are there. There are obviously restrictions in place in terms of uh, numbers of people within our building that we're managing. Um, and, of course, um, vaccination status needs to be checked when you're seated. But we are open. Um, and we're open regular hours throughout the day. We're open on New Year's Day. And there's amazing things for you to be able to do on site if you're willing to bundle up and uh, head out into the cold. What kind of things? Well, Arctic Glacier Winter Park is open. So we have just over a kilometre of trails that are groomed every day on the site, as well as two skating rinks, one underneath the canopy and one in front of CN Stage. And those are, um, now the snow is gone. Um, Those are cleared and ready for everybody. Skate rentals are up and running again this year. So if you don't have your own skates, you're welcome to come and rent some. We also have two tenants on site this year who are doing um, rentals, one of fat tire bikes and uh, the other of um, uh, skis as well. So we're hoping to put a ski trail onto the river trail this year as well. So that'll come in handy. So there's lots to do. There's beautiful walks as well, 10,000 lights, and just a lot to see always at the Forks. Ooh, the cross-country skiing sounds like a great idea, Claire. So where are we at with the river trail? Usually the Assiniboine, if I'm not mistaken, goes first in, in terms of getting cleared for skaters. Yeah, we always start with the Forks Historic Port. And so New Year's Eve, New Year's Day is usually on average when we start to see things open. We're still working towards uh, getting open as quickly as possible. And we'll, we'll announce on our website and social media as soon as we get there. Every year, the river gives us a different a different version of itself for us to contend with. So we're looking at what's happening on the Assiniboine. River levels were really, really low this year, and that may affect uh, freezing under some of the bridges. So the red is looking amazing. Um, but we, as, as we do every year, we'll just take a look at the conditions and do the best that we can. You say it, well, it affects it under the bridges. What, what kind of effect does it have in terms of uh, throwing a curveball? Uh, it's it's an odd, I mean, there's currents that we need to deal with. And when the water is low, the currents have, have come into play, especially on the Assiniboine. You'll notice that we've never been able to go to the exchange district with um, with the trail. And that's because Esplanade, um, the, the bridge, um, it's, it's a weird thing with heat. And it won't freeze properly underneath there because of the heat that comes from the bridge itself. Uh, so I, the ice won't freeze. So we, we aren't able to go uh, that way, which is something we've always wanted to do. So we just, we know the river is a moving natural thing and we deal with the conditions that it gives us. I know there have been years, Claire, where Winnipeg set records for the length of its trail. Is there a goal every single year? Or is it, as, as Brett sort of asked, it's really depending on where you can even put the trail, I'm guessing, and, and what the temperature must be like before you can hit that target. Yeah, so we um, we have a, a special permit, um, and we are responsible for testing ice thicknesses and ensuring that it's safe for people to go onto the trail. Um, so we just we we manage it every single year with respect to access, with respect to thickness. Um, we go as far as we can. Obviously, you know, some years we could probably go forever, um, and those years it's because of budget that we can't go much further. We we only want to do what we can, you know, safely maintain as well. Um, the expectation 
um, that the trail be cleared uh, requires a big crew. Often they're out at two o'clock in the morning clearing so that people have beautiful paths to skate first thing in the morning or to use as their morning commute. Um, So there's a bunch of different factors that go into it. We always try and give as much as we possibly can. Whose job is it to keep that trail groomed up and running? You mentioned uh, a sizable crew. Yeah, we have we have a seasonal crew that comes in uh, every year, um, and they're they're pretty much experts now at maintaining the trail. They're a hardy group, um, especially those who are out at two o'clock in the morning. And uh, yeah, so we we have a contract, um, and we go out for RFP every couple of years on that. So, how many people does it take to keep things up and running? If you're adding the ski trails to this year too do you have to add more staff claire well with the ski trails we've actually found a wonderful contractor who has this great device that basically creates you know the two tracks and it gets sort of dragged along on a piece of equipment so we uh last year was actually the first year that we were successfully able to put in uh cross-country ski trails we tried it in the past um, and hadn't been very successful in terms of maintaining it. So working with this contractor, we're able to uh, bring someone in who can actually take care of that for us. We've also worked with the biking community in terms of last year we had a fat tire bike course that actually made its way off onto the site. So we tap into those who are experts in the specific areas in order to be able to help and supplement the stuff that we do have. And what about warming huts this year? We juried them uh, in November, so and we announced the winners in November. So we have three new huts that will join our complement of just over probably about 20 of them. Um, and our beloved Al Simmons was our invited artist for this year. And so he and his son have created a really whimsical piece that uh, will be created for this year. We always put those out about the third week of January, the brand new ones, and we'll be slowly moving. You can actually see in our parking lots right now that previous winners are slowly making their way to their site from their summer resting place, um, which is a good sidebar to to note that we are actually collecting Christmas trees um, again this year for the River Trail. So if you do have a live Christmas tree that you would like to drop off to us, you can drop it off where you see those warming huts um, in our parking lot. Claire McGuire right. of The Forks joining us live on 680 CJOB. I can tell you that I'm very much looking forward to mm-hmm. it. I used the trail every day last year, and it uh, really helped me get through a cu- tough couple of months when we were pretty much, uh, like, I couldn't do I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't see anybody. So yeah. looking forward much to it. Much appreciated. Yeah, much appreciated. Happy New Year to you. To you as well. Claire McKay, thank you very much for joining us from the Forks. And, uh, yeah, they, I know last year, they, they, I know in years past they've gone further, but last year, at least in my neck of the woods, they were able to go as far as the Hugo Dock on uh, the oh. Assiniboine. And that's where they had to cut it off because around the just around the corner, right by Munson Park, I mentioned it earlier, yeah. the spot that I like to go sort of sit in for a couple of minutes. Um, there were still a couple of open patches of water that just never seemed to freeze over. So that was as far as they could go. Yeah, well, it's like the same thing she said about the Lesplanade, right? Just that part there just stays too warm and the currents are different and you can't get on. I think this year you need to try the cross-country skiing. Yeah, I, I looked at them last year and I thought, that looks like so much work. <laughs> I know. <laughs> to, to do the cross-country. Like that thing that you, in theory, you're like, it just looks so invigorating and great. I should get in on that. And then you watch it, you're like, well. There's a lot of hills to coast down. But hey, the fact that they're doing skates again, or skate rentals, maybe that's something that'll actually give it a shot this year. Because I was, I I watched everybody skate, and I was sort of jealous. But at the same time, I just, I'd be so clumsy. 
I'd, I'd be scared to be clumsy and falling all over people and like reaching out and just grabbing random strangers as I try not to bash my head. So uh, maybe, you know what, may, I think I just talked myself into just sticking to, my, to walking on the trail. want to share some texts. Uh, we got some feedback on a, a variety of things this morning. Uh, the Ren, I think one of them was was testing. You had flagged a couple of, of things that uh, piqued your interest. Well, I just wanted to address this because there was a news conference about an hour ago with the Central Services Minister, sorry, about 40 minutes ago at 9 o'clock, uh, and the head of the testing task force and so some people were wondering if there might be more announcements or changes coming to the way we're doing things or the recommendation or a better rollout of the rapid test and it was basically just him answering some questions and there's all sorts of questions about not just the leg time to get that test but the leg time to get the results and a lot of people are looking for those results because yes they're, they're worried about their health and they don't want to be spreading it but they also might want to know maybe maybe I just have a cold and it's negative and therefore I can go back to work right and so it's important for people to get those results in as soon as possible and one of our listeners texted to say they went for a COVID test at the King Edward site and the lineup was kilometers long this was a few days ago, so this listener left. They went early the next morning, and the lineup was just about as long, so they left again. But the appointment that they can set through the system is for January 1st, Whoa. which is Saturday. So, you know, they could have waited in that line two days ago, or now they're not getting that test until January 1st. And then you might have four or five or six days for the results. We had a listener text to say they had their test December 23rd. So one week ago today, and they're still waiting for results, and they've called and waited three hours on the phone to try to get someone, and then they finally got a hold of someone and was told the result is unavailable. And so in that listener's mind, this is unacceptable to be where we're at because, yeah, if you're trying to do the right thing and find out whether you have or don't have COVID, you don't want to be waiting around for that result. I can get it two days, maybe three days. I mean, if you think back to last fall, Brett, we were talking about results taking two to three days, maybe four, and that was deemed unacceptable. Well, now we here we are four, maybe five, six, seven. And I, I just don't think that's sustainable. And so I think people are looking for something more to be done. I'm just, I'm just not sure what that is given staffing. Or is it about finding better ways to get those rapid tests out? Like, should they be at the liquor store with the masks? And people get their hands on rapid tests. Should they have gone out better at schools or at least have the schools to give them out quicker and more early? Because if that's the go-to method now, the rapid test, then let's get them into the hands of people. Yeah. And uh, well, because when I went and got my COVID test and that was about three weeks ago, it was uh, Tuesday morning. I got there at 705 I waited in, I was at the front of the line. I don't know if they already had a full garage of cars or if they were wait, just waiting for enough cars to show up that they could then let us all in at once because it was a cold morning and they, they wanted to get us all in at once so they could minimize the number of times they were opening and closing the doors. So they did us all and then they opened the door and sent us all on our way and then brought in a fresh crop of cars. But I got there early and thankfully there was no lineup and I was basically in and out. I was I think I was out the door by 745. So I did not have to deal with nearly as long as what people are waiting for now. And I got my test result in under 24 hours. It was came in at 3.06 a.m. is when the text message came. And I woke up the next morning and 
was all groggy. It was funny because I was having these dreams about what might the test result be. I even mm-hmm. dreamt that I got a phone call that I had been that I'd tested positive. So I woke up super groggy and looked and. Of course, the first thing I did was check the test, and I read it and read it again and triple read it, and it said negative. Uh, so I was happy about that. But another thing, too, is if you, even if you get a negative test, at least the it, it says you're required to, to remain isolated until you're uh, 24 hours symptom-free. Mm-hmm. So even if you get a negative test, depending on what kind of illness you are dealing with, you're technically still not supposed to go anywhere. Yeah, and that's in part because they, you know you might have received a negative test, but still it just didn't catch the virus in that early stage, right? Depending on where it was at in its incubation or in its growth, and so ah, I don't know. All these numbers and facts are being thrown at us, and I, I feel like it should have become clearer by now in terms of what we're supposed to do and the best action. And every single day something changes where I feel like the water gets muddied again. Like, go for the test. Don't go for the test. Go for the test. Take the rapid test. Go home. But if the rapid test is positive, we'd like you to maybe consider coming back to get the PCR test. But there's going to be a lineup there. It's going to take several days. So we'll send you home again with a rapid test. Like, I just don't know. It's so confusing. And this is where we're at. Like, if you consider that three weeks ago, Brett, your results were back in less than 24 hours. And now we have these days long wait because more and more people are getting tested. It's incredible. And Ontario just announced minutes ago that they've set another single day high record. Yesterday, they had 10,436 cases. Today, Ontario is reporting 13,000 new COVID cases. So that means basically their test positivity rate there is at 30%. That's one in three, almost one in three people testing positive there. And so now one in three people who are being tested rather, are testing positive. And so that's a whole host of people home and then all their close contacts. So the numbers are just going to keep going up. And I think the weights will too, unless more capacity is added, more people, more staffing. And do we have the ability to do that? And of course, the the, the primary number we'll, we all are keeping our eye on is what's happening at the hospitals, uh, because we're still waiting to, to find out how severe of an impact is Omicron going to have? Clearly, this thing is ripping through the population across the, well, everywhere, uh, but we're, we don't know how severe of an impact it's going to have. So even if, you know, as our cases are ballooning through the roof, uh, the hospital situation, I know they had a couple extra cases in the ICU. So that's got to be a stressful situation, hoping that it doesn't get worse. John texting to say, my son waited in line eight hours on Wednesday. He was told it would be after January 3rd for results. He needed to be tested because his work had several cases and he can't return until he has results and he loses his pay until then. That's frustrating. Right. So I think it's really easy and and kudos to his son to go and, and get that done, first of all, and to be forthright with his workplace because that's a very frustrating process, but then to throw in the loss of income. It's really easy for me to sit here and say I could do that and then work from home while waiting for the result, Brett. Like, I mean, that's a point of position of privilege that I'm sitting in that so many people do not have. So losing pay for almost a week, if not longer, if that person doesn't get the results is just, that's not sustainable either. And again, I appreciate the goal here is to keep people out of hospital. And therefore, if you're positive you need to stay home and you need to isolate and all the rest because we don't know yet what the impact might be on the more severe outcomes but i we gotta 
we got to find a way to ramp this up. The testing has to be better. And the question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. If you need to stay home and self-isolate for 10 days, does your workplace require a COVID test result? And at cjob.com, so far we've got 57% who say, good question, not sure what the policy is. 25% say yes, 18% say no. And uh, on Twitter, it's a bit of a closer race. We've got 35% who say yes. So yes, the workplace does require the result. 33% say no, and 33% say yikes, I'm not sure. So you can cast your vote either at cjob.com or on Twitter at 680CJOB. And just before we check in with KK in a moment here, uh, we were talking about winter activities and cross-country skiing came up in our conversation with the Forks because they're excited to uh, continue with the cross-country ski trails that they had on the river uh, trail. And uh, somebody weighing in on that, Loren? Yeah, with just a straight-up cross-country skiing sucks. (laughs) It just made me laugh because I I know so many people who really love it, but it's one of those things I always look at, much like the snowshoeing, and I think, oh, it'd be nice to get out in that fresh air, and and then what, be exhausted? Like, that's what I feel like the end result is there. I know. Be more active. I get it. I get it. KK, one of the reasons we were talking about winter activities that we look forward to is uh, I laughed yesterday. Somebody posted on Twitter, well, now that there's an extreme cold warning, I'm doing what many Manitobans are doing, and that's thinking about going ice fishing. <laughs> yeah, but even I have my limits. Yeah? Uh, Brett, when it com- yeah, when it comes to ice fishing. Uh, I'm not all about the minus 45 heading out there to do some ice fishing. I don't need to do it that bad. However, when it's minus 16, even minus 20, I'm all about it. All about it and looking forward to doing some of that next week, I think. I should try it. I should try Where are you going to go? I haven't decided whether I'll go to Big Windy, like Winnipeg, or uh, just hang out on the river. Um, Mm. One of the two. Well, uh, See, I I told Brett he'd like it as long as he teamed up with someone with a sweet shack that has like the heater yes. and a TV in it and a mini fridge and it's basically just a house on the river. <laughs> That's my kind of I'll I'll ice fish the heck out of that. Yeah, it sounds it, it probably is fun. Like my initial thought was I'd rather just sit at a pub and eat fish and chips. <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know yeah, I, but you know what, Brett? Let me tell you something. The fish and chips do not compare to the fresh fish out on the ice yeah. that you can uh, that you can eat. Uh, it is just an incredible experience. Okay, well, uh, maybe yeah. one day, one day. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say no to something uh, until I try it. Never so. say never, my Correct. friend. Correct. All That's right. what I'm trying to. I'm trying to stick to that mantra, um, and sometimes I just need a little reminder. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, uh, you guys, I, I was uh, lamenting the fact on Twitter last night, and Lorena and I were speaking earlier this morning. You know, yesterday, for the first time in 21 months, I actually COVID crashed. Uh, yeah. That, that's what I'm calling it. Yeah, where, you know, they announced the, <laughs> the cancellation of the World Juniors. And listen, I'm not some big World Junior super fan. But to me, yesterday, that was the icing on the cake. And, and I just got angry Mm. and I was throwing crap around and I was swearing and then I was weeping and it's just I think 
everybody is at this point of hitting their limit with this pandemic. And so on the show today, we're going to start off by talking to Dr. Renata Singh, uh, anesthesiologist with Shared Health. She works out of uh, both the Grace Hospital and HSC. We're going to talk to her about how did we get here again? How, after 21 months, are we here again where we have partial lockdowns in effect, you know, back to school return being threatened, people getting sick, right, left and center, lineups galore for testing. How are we here again? Have we not learned anything in 21 months? What, why is this? So we're going to ask her those tough questions. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.